Man, I am pumped to be preaching this morning. I told you last week that um, one of the greatest things about preaching through a book like Luke or any book is that um, you just kind of end up, it was written a long time ago, and then you just kind of have these right now moments. Like you, I kind of read these passages and go, man, that's the perfect passage for this day. I would like to tell you um, that we as a teaching team are smart enough to sit down and map out like, okay, if we preach this, 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 and then this is going to happen, and then we'll take this, this. If we do all this just right, then in week 31 of True Story, we'll be at the perfect passage for the fifth year anniversary. I'd like to tell you that we're that smart, but we're not. We're just, we're just not. But today, in Luke chapter 10, it is the perfect passage for what we are experiencing today. Because God has done amazing things in five years at the gathering. Amazing things. It's, it's amazing the number of people who have been impacted and touched, whose lives have been transformed in just five years of ministry. But, but what we find in this passage that we're going to be in today is that that's good for five years, right? But what about the next five or the next 10 or the next 15, the next 50, the next, I mean, Prospect Baptist Church is celebrating 150 years as a church. And every time I drive by that sign, I just think, what's the gathering going to look like at 150? I, I know one thing for sure, I, I probably won't be preaching right and I say probably because you just never know right? you just never know I'm running I'm trying to stay in shape I'm, I'm, I'm preparing I'm preparing for it big days like this are the days that we sit down I don't know what your family how your family celebrates big days these are the days that we sit down and we we think about why who are we what are we doing when we do not celebrate anniversaries we go to dinner and we talk about what was the last year like? What do we want to see happen in the next year? Yesterday was Sydney's 14th birthday. So last night we sat around the dinner table and we said things that we appreciate about Sydney. You just take times and you, and you remember these are big moments. These are times to remember like why are we doing what we're doing? And so today I, I want us to think like that. I want us to think as we hit the five-year milestone like what, what do we start this thing for? Why would we continue? I mean, what's the big thing about the gathering at year five that we can get out of Luke chapter 10? And so for me, I, I, I posted this last night. I woke up at Monday morning ready for today. I mean, I've been ready all week long to teach you what we're going to see in Luke chapter 10 today. Because it is so pertinent to where we are as a church. It's, it's mission critical right? Mission critical is a term that means like if we don't get this, the mission fails. This is mission critical. And so I, I see it just in the first half of Luke chapter 10, just these, these observations. I, and I, I'm, I'm big on five and today's the, the five years. And so we're going with five observations, right? It's the number of grace. So if I preach poorly, you have to give me grace, right? I love that. So five observations that we can make from these verses. So we're going to, they're game changers for a lot of us. We're going to start let me just read the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll start there. It says in Luke chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3, after this, and, and you got to ask, like, after this, after what? After all that we just talked through in Luke 9, right? After all those things happened, you know, he's been telling them about uh, there's opposition. They've been fighting about who's going to be the greatest. There was a transfiguration. After all this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! Exclamation point. I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Let's just stop there for just a minute and let me start giving you some of these observations. Here's, here's the first one. And I know everyone's into sports. Not, I mean, not everybody's into sports. And so, when, when I, and I am, right? So I share a lot of sports analogies and some, some of you are just like, oh God, here we go again. But let me just remind you that the Apostle Paul also shared sports analogies. So I think I'm in good company. Okay? He talked about this being a race. He talked about running as if to win the race. This, I, you ever heard the expression, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon? Raise your hand if you've heard that expression, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And when, when people say that, they're talking about pacing, right? And you don't have to be a runner to get this. All you have to do is ever, if you've ever tried to run, if you run fast, typically the faster you run, the less far you can go, Right? And so if you want to run a marathon, you got to slow the pace down at the beginning. And so people will say this all the time. They go, hey, the Christian faith, it's not a sprint, dude. It's a marathon. Slow down. And I want to say today that that's not even true. Because a marathon, for the most part, is an individual sport. But the Christian faith is not an individual sport. It's more like a team sport. This is your first point. Living, living on mission is a team sport with many seasons. It's a team sport. Living on mission requires others. I love this. Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. After, the, after this, the Lord appointed 72, and here's the word I want you to underline, others. He appointed 72 others. Now, why is that there? Because if you just, and if you don't remember, you can look real quick. But if you look back at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, you will see a, almost a parallel passage of Scripture. The difference is in Luke chapter 9, he sent out how many? Twelve. And here, he did not turn to those twelve and say, work harder, do it again. He turned to 72 others. It's a team sport. And I've thought about that all week long. All of us have a part to play. All of us have a leg to run in the race, and it's not just a team sport like football or basketball, it's more like a relay race. And so, you, you could have somebody run a, a first lap and they can run it really, really well, but if they're coming in with a baton and they reach the baton out and there's nobody there, the team fails. And so, Jesus knew this. You've got to understand this is how the principle of the kingdom works. He started with 12 and sent them. And then one chapter later, after all these things, he sent 72 others. Which means somewhere between chapter 9 and chapter 10, somebody's doing some recruiting. Somebody's saying to people, you need to come with us as well. And not just come and tag along with the 12 and watch them do things. You need to come along with us so that we can prepare you to be sent. 72 others. It's a team sport with many seasons. Many of you are here today because five years ago, a little over 20 people sat in a living room and said, I'll run the first lap. Many of them are still here. And that's rare. But now... God's looking for 72 others because it's a team sport and there are many seasons. 
And sometimes the season is I'm going to run the first lap, but I need to hand a baton to somebody to run the second lap. I want you to see this, that in the years to come, people that you've stood on the shoulders of people, but there are people that are waiting to stand on your shoulders now. And here's, here's your big idea. I got really cute. It might not be good, but let's give it a shot. We do what's been done so that others can do what we've done. We do what's been done. And I want you to see this. The 72 others that went out, they went out and did what the 12 had done before. And, and if, you've, if you hang in the Bible long enough, you'll get through the book of Luke and you'll eventually get to Acts. And what you'll see is that on the day of Pentecost, that 12 had become 72 and that 72 had become 120. And that 120 has today become what? Millions. We do what's already been done so that others can do what we've done. This is the part we play in the mission. And it's critical because if we don't do what we're supposed to do, the baton's on the ground. Jesus didn't send the first 12 and then resend them. He sent 72 others. This is a new season at the gathering. This is a new year at the gathering. This is a new opportunity for some of you to say, I'm, I want to be in the race. I'm in the race. Because it's a team sport with many seasons. Here's the second thing that I noticed. Jesus responded to the need instead of reacting to it. Jesus responded to the need instead of reacting to it. And where I see that is, Jesus said this in the second verse. He told him, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm sure you have heard this a gazillion times. I read that this week and I realized something that I'd never seen before. And here it is. You know it's good when I step out from the pulpit, right? You know, you already picked up on this, right? Here's what I figured out this week. Now, I'm a church planner. I've never been a pastor. I mean, a senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever. I've always done youth pastoring. So um, when I started the church, I would meet with pastors all the time. I'd say, look, what do I need to know? Get me ready for this. Because, like, I'm, I'm from Albemarle. I'm probably an idiot. Help me out, right? So just give me some, give me some wisdom. I just ask questions like, what are your biggest needs? And I would talk to people who had just started. I would talk to pastors who had been, who'd been church. They'd been in church for 10 years. I'd, I'd talk to pastors who had been their whole lives, their whole adult lives they've been pastoring. Small churches, big churches, every kind of church in between. And you know what they all say their greatest need is? If I, if I counted to three and you screamed it out, I bet, I bet I could guess right now, you would, you would probably say one word and you'd be wrong because you're thinking money, and that's not it. It's people. Every church, every size, no matter what, how long the pastor's been there, whether he's young, whether he's old, whether his name is Furtick or whether his name is somebody you've never heard of, their number one need is always people. And so I started out the church thinking, I'm going to be, I'm going to change that. I'm going to do something brilliant that's never been done before. I don't know what it is yet, but it'll come to me and we'll do it and people will volunteer like crazy. And then this week I was reading this verse, and then I hang on, because that sounds like I'm putting you down, but I'm not, just hang with me, right? I'm reading this verse, and I, you know what I realized? Jesus had the same problem. Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. You know, he's the son of God, the son of man, he's the Messiah. The whole book of Luke was written for one reason, to prove that Jesus was who he said he was. He was Jesus, and he had the same problem. He said there's a lot of harvesting to do, and not a lot of harvesters. And it made me feel better. I'm in good company. 
And again, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it's a, if you're in business, you've heard of the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 principle, which is 20% of the people will do 80% of the work. And we want to fight against that because that's not, I'm convinced it's not the way it's supposed to be, right? But Jesus said there's a lot to be done and the few that are doing it. The difference is how Jesus responded to that need instead of how we typically react to that need. So if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. Because Jesus said in response to there's a lot to harvest and few to harvest, there's only one thing we should do in response to that, and it is pray. Okay? He picked the right P word, pray. That's how you respond to the situation. You pray to the Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field. We typically pick one of three other P words, and here they are. We panic. Oh, no, there's not enough people. And your nostril goes in like that. It's really ugly. We panic. We point, and you've been around leaders that did that. You should be serving. Or we posture, which means, look what I'm doing. I'm so glad I've been working out because I just stuck my chest out. Look what I've been doing. I, look at, I, I, I work so hard. Look what I do. And Jesus said, don't do any of those three. Don't panic. Don't point. Don't posture. He said to pray. And why would we pray? Why would we pray and ask God to send laborers into the field. One reason. Jesus knew that God cares more about the harvest than you or I do. God wants people in the kingdom. And so if you pray to God and say, God, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Send workers into the harvest field. You're asking God to act on his heart. And we do that all the time, right? I mean, you're always acting on your heart. You're always doing stuff according to your passion. I mean, we're back in the football season. Yay! We're back into that season when people go nuts and they like body paint. And all, like men who have no business exposing their bellies will expose their bellies, right? They are acting according to their passion. Somebody's like, dude, what are you doing with the body paint? I'm going to the game. But don't paint your body. But I'm going to the game, and that's my team, right? They act according to their passion. And when we pray to the Lord of the harvest about the need for workers in the harvest field, we are praying to God about his passion. I care about 16,007 people in Albemarle. I really want to see them come to Christ. But I don't want to see them come to Christ nearly as much as God does. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And I love this too. This is really important. I want to make sure I'm using balance for the end of this point and the beginning of the next one. Some of you, a lot of you are serving. You're serving here in the church. I know a lot of us serve outside in the city, and that's great. But let's talk about here on, on Sundays, here in the church, community group leaders. You're on a, you're on a service team, a, a servant leader team. A lot of you are already doing that. And you know what I love about this? Jesus did not say this. Listen, guys. There's a harvest that's plentiful and the workers are few. So here we're going to have a prayer meeting and here's what we're going to pray. God, please give more power to the few who are working so that they can do more for you. He didn't pray that. He didn't ask the ones that were working to do more. He asked God to send more. 
And there's a big difference. Because sometimes we can get caught up in this like, well, I better do more because nobody's doing anything. And that's not based in faith. That's based in panic. Or it's based in pride because, well, I'll, I'll do it. And that's not what he said. He didn't say pray for more power for the few that are working. He said pray that God would give power to more to work. And here's the third point. It's really important. Jesus prayed for workers, not players. He prayed for workers, not players. Um, I want to make sure, again, that you see the balance of Scripture because we just, we just did a series called Breathe. We've talked about margin in our lives. Um, when I say that Jesus prayed for workers, not players, I'm not saying that we should work ourselves to the bone. There is rest in the kingdom of God. He, he ordained a Sabbath. I mean, it's, a, it's good to rest, right? But what he didn't do was, hey, God, send people that are just a blast to hang out with and we'll just play all the time. What, what you need to get is this. There is work to be done. Everybody say work. It's not a cuss word. We treat it like it's a four-letter word. Well, it is, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we, we treat it like it's a cuss word. But at the end of the day, and I can't speak for you, I can only speak for me. I would like to lay my head on the pillow at the end of the day and be tired from doing the right things. I don't want to fall for the trap that because I love Jesus, it's going to be easy. He said, send workers into the harvest field. There are times to play, but there are times to actually get things done. Playing, praying, planning, all of those are good. But they don't necessarily mean that anything will get done if we don't actually do it. I thought I would share one of my favorite poems with you now. You've heard of the poem, Footprints in the Sand. This is a different one. Here we go. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord... They are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. <laughs> because in life there comes a time when one must fight. And one must climb when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. You're welcome. I didn't write it. I only wish that I had. The point being, there's time to do work for the kingdom of God. And I believe that time is now. I believe that at our church, 12 can become 72, which can become 120, which can become a, a million. I believe that 20 has turned into 250. But if 250 are just going to hang out and wait on 20 to get it done, then our church will not celebrate a 10th anniversary. I will say it again. Our church will not celebrate a 10th anniversary. Or at least none of us will be here for it. 
Because it's not about a bunch of people watching the few work. And it's not about the few panicking to try to convince the bunch of people to work. It's about all of us saying to the Lord of the harvest, send workers into the field. Because there's work to be done. Here's number four. Something um, very interesting happens between verses 2 and 3, and I believe that it can rock our worlds. Let me just read these to you again. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. In these verses, what we see is we see how God sends us, and we see where God sends us. And what we'll find is this fourth point, the fourth observation, we can't play it safe and still be sent. Now, that right away just, I know some of us just, we don't respond well to that. You're like, oh, I don't know. What does that mean? God, he wants to keep us safe. We'll get to that in just a second, okay? But let me just say it again. We can't play it safe and still be sent. I think sometimes what we're waiting for is, and we wait for God to politely walk up to us in a moment of amazing worship it always happens in amazing worship right cornerstone we're singing it loudly and he just taps us on the shoulder excuse me paul yes lord um if you wouldn't mind would you consider maybe helping in the harvest field yeah let me finish let me finish singing to you i'll think about that just just think about it i mean if you wouldn't mind just you know if it's if it's not inconvenient just think about it. I think we believe that that's how it happens. But that's not what this is saying at all. What this is saying is when Jesus said, send laborers into the harvest field, he used a Greek word. There's a Greek word for send, a normal Greek word for send, which is apostello, which is where we get apostolic and apostle for. But there's another word that he uses here, and the word is ekbalo. If you're taking notes, you want to spell it as E-K-B-A-L-L-O. Ekbalo. It's a fun word to say. You should try it. Go ahead. That was close. Ekbalo. It means, and here's what it means. It means to drive out. It means to thrust out. As a matter of fact, this is the word that's used in the next chapter in Luke, Luke 11:20, 20, when Jesus says, I cast out demons by the finger of God. I cast out, I ekbalo demons, I drive them out by the finger of God. That's the word that he uses here. For ask the Lord of the harvest to ekbalo workers into the field. It does not happen politely. It does not happen at your comfort level. And often I think sometimes God even uses the things in our lives that are uncomfortable to thrust us into action. I've got a picture just to illustrate what it looks like to be ekbalo. Do you see that now? Do you see the picture? How many of you know that that cat is being ekbaloed into the water, right? They have hit a bump, they have hit something, and now that cat is being launched when we pray, Lord, there's a harvest that's great. There's not enough workers. Send laborers into the harvest field. What he's saying is, God, ekbalo laborers into the harvest field. Thrust them into the harvest field. Make them go. And then the second part of this is, where do we go? Where, where does he launch us? And again, 
I don't know what your safe meter is, zero to ten. Like zero is like, I'm never going to China, right? Ten is, uh, I don't know where I'm going to stay, what I'm going to make. I think I've got a job. I'm going to go to China, right? So somewhere in there, we're all somewhere on that scale, right? I don't know where you are on the safe meter scale. But when he thrusts us, where did he say that he was going to thrust us? To the wolves. Did you catch that? Am I just totally wrecking your picture of God right now? Because we are convinced that the gospel is safe, comfortable, build me a church building and give me a pew. I don't think that's what it is at all. I don't think that's what it is at all. He thrusts, he ekbalos labors into the harvest field. And he describes it as, I'm sending you to the wolves. And he didn't say, I'm sending you to the wolves, and here's a whole lot of protection for you. Uh, Go be something like, be a wolf to the wolves. He said, no, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. And I've really wrestled with that, right? Because nobody wants to hear that message. Like, if I gave the altar call right now, you are holding on to your chair. Like, I am not going. No one wants to hear that because we want God to protect us, and he does. Listen to this statement. The key to God keeping us safe is for us to stop playing it safe. The reason why you and I don't see the protection of God is because there's nothing to protect. We play it safe. We keep everybody close. We helicopter our kids and make sure they've got bubble wrap and they never get hurt. This is our society. And because we never take a risk, there's no need for God to ever come through. I want you to know this. Some of you are going to be sent, and here's how I know. I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord of the harvest to ekbalo you. Which means some of you are going to look like a cat. And you're going to land among wolves. And when you do, I want you to know with all the confidence of Scripture, you can know this. That when we stop playing it safe, God will begin to keep us safe. And He always does. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. There's nothing to fear because he keeps us safe. When we stop playing it safe. Here's the last point. And for this one, I mean, I know we're at the beginning of Luke 10. This is over um, verses 17 through 20. Let me just read it to you real quick and I'll give you the, the, the point. After he sends the 72 out, Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. That's good, right? They came back smiling. They were happy. And here's what they said. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, can you just, before I read verse 20, and I know you're overachievers, you've already read it, but... Just picture this. They come back. They are giddy with excitement. They're like, Jesus, this is amazing. You wouldn't believe, like, even the demons, like, we just, like, say, we're just going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And demons are just submitting. It's amazing. And Jesus like, I, I know. Like, I've seen, I saw Satan fall. 
and, and I've given you authority. And can you just imagine him as he's telling them, you've got authority to trample on snakes and do this and do this and this. And they're just like, yeah, boy, that's right. Chester going out a little bit further. That's right. That's right. Come on now. That's what we got. That's what we got. We got that. And in verse 20, he drops the bombshell. However, don't rejoice about that. Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We, we cannot afford to miss the mission while we're on it. We can't afford to miss the mission while we're on it. He's going to send us out to 16,007 people and then about 60-some thousand in the county. He's going to send us out to those individuals. And he gives us power and we preach the gospel and people come to Christ and lives are changed and they're transformed. And before long... We start talking about all the things that we're doing for God more than we're talking about what God did for us. And we begin to miss the mission while we're actually on the mission. This is the phrase that God gave me this week. He said, we, we should be more excited about what Jesus did with our names than we are about what we're doing in his name. We should be more excited that he put our name in the Lamb's book of life than with what power we have to do things in his name. Because if we miss this, what happens is the mission will soon become all about what we do and less about what he did. And that's when we'll start telling people, oh, you need to come to my church. My church is the best ever. My preacher preaches like nobody's business. And that's true. My worship band is amazing. My church is releasing a worship album. My church, my, 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 I love my church. Do you see the pride in that? When, what it should be is I love the church and the king of that church. I love the church and the king of that church. It's still all about Jesus. At year five in the gathering, it's all about Jesus. And at year 10 and 15 and 50 and 100, it's got to be all about Jesus. And that's what Jesus is reminding them. Don't stop doing it. There's still people to win. There's still a harvest to, to, to harvest. Don't stop that. But man, don't ever think it's about you. Don't ever think it's about what you've done for me. We can't afford to miss the mission while we're on it. And so now we've come to the landing. The end of the message, and I have struggled all week long, how do we land this plane? Do I give you forms to fill out? Do we bring you to the front and have you sign up to volunteer on service teams? No. You can do that in community group this week. This week I remembered that today is 9-11. It's the 15th anniversary of 9-11. I'm sure if we went around the room I could ask you where you were that day. And you could tell me, I can still remember setting my coffee down in the den and looking in horror at one building burning and then in horror as I watched the other plane go into the second tower. But do you remember the stories that came out of 9-11? I mean, I, I preached about those stories, I mean, so many times after that happened. About heroes that ran into a building that others were running out of. I was reading this week just about kind of where are they now and, you know, you get a lot of stories about, about like people that, that got the phone call, the, not, the 
operator that answered the phone call, when they called from the plane, that eventually they said, let's roll, and they took the plane back over. Just hearing her story about receiving that call, you hear stories of, of people who, who they found their body, you know, two, three days later, and they were the ones that were waved some, a man with a red bandana that got so many people out, and then he died. You read about all that stuff, but this week I've been thinking about the firefighters. I've been thinking about the emergency responders. People who were on their day off and they just heard it come over the scanner and they got in the car and they went to ground zero and they started running into a building. And here's what I want you to remember about that. There's only one reason a person runs into a building. It's because they're on a mission. They're on a mission to save somebody. And they succeeded. And our, our country's different today because brave men and women were on a mission and they went into a building that other people were running from. They went into a place full of wolves. They went on a mission, and they were successful. But here's what I thought about this week. If 9-11 happened again today, are the same people going into the building? No. Because some of them are dead. Some of them are retired. Some of them have been relocated. If it happened again today in New York City... And New York City was waiting on the very first people from 9-11 to go in and save people. People are going to die. Because it's a new season. Because it's not enough for the entire emergency personnel of New York City to rest on what those men and women did 15 years ago. And what I do know about New York City is if it happened today, they'd be ready. Do you know why? Because they prepared a whole new crop of people to run into a building on a rescue mission. You and I in Christ have been rescued. Jesus came, Luke 19.10, to seek and save the lost. He came on a rescue mission, and you're here because of that. But now he invites you to be a part of the rescue mission. And five years ago, 20-some people said yes to that. My question is, Today, who says yes to that? Well, I don't know, Paul, if I really want to serve because, I mean, that doesn't seem too sexy. I mean, like taking your sermon notes and cutting them in half, how does that help anybody come to Christ? Well, I mean, why'd you even get out of bed then? Because we go through our days and everything we do is about the mission. And when we do it with excellence, when we're workers in the field, people come to Christ. And you have the opportunity to be a part of something much bigger than you. You have a, part of, a chance to be a part of something that allows others to someday stand on your shoulders the way that you have stood on others. We do what's been done so that others can do what we've done. And that's what you have the opportunity to be a part of. Just like those workers in New York who didn't sit back and say, well, we did it once, and so we'll do it every time. They said, we did it once, and we're going to prepare others so that if it happens again, they'll be ready. You're in a church that wants to equip you to take your place. You're in a church where we want to hand you the baton so that you can run with it. You're in a church that will impact the city when all of us say, I'm going to run my part. I'm going to do my part. And I want to pray that over you this morning.
The band's going to do a song at the end. We're going to go out of here jumping up and down, having fun, high-fiving. It's awesome. I love it. But my prayer for you is that you would simply say yes, not just to Jesus and salvation, but that you would say yes to the opportunity we have to help serve an entire city and to raise up a new crop, a new team for a new season. And I'm asking you to be a part of that. Because God has amazing things that He wants to do through you.